Uh, my name is Joe, Joe Gavin, and uh, I work as a missionary to students at UVM through Chi Alpha. Um, and uh, we're just kicking off our school year up there, and things are going great. And so the bags under my eyes are because of late nights and parties and all kinds of stuff we're doing with students. Um, but it's going well. So uh, for the next few Sundays, while Pastor Mike is away, we're going to be doing a, a series of studies on the book, or I should say letter of 1 Peter. Um, and I'm calling this series, as you might have guessed from the video, uh, Be Different. Um, which is actually a video that one of my students put together. I thought he did a pretty cool job of uh, doing that as well. So be different is what we're going to be looking at. And so the primary message we're going to be discussing over the next few weeks is that being different is hard. Being different is hard. It's just hard. And nobody has communicated that better than one of the greatest films of the 21st century, uh, I don't know if you have teenagers uh, who grew up in the early 2000s or junior high students, but they will certainly understand this, this is one of the best movies ever created. Um, and I'm talking, of course, about the movie High School Musical. Has anyone, has anyone seen High School Musical? Just like two or three of us. Okay, so High School Music, but this is uh, one of those unforgettable scenes um, that talks about being different. My students were able to actually sing along to this. You can bet there's nothing but net when I am in a zone and on a roll. But I got a confession, my own secret obsession, and it's making me lose control. Everybody gather around. Well, if Tori can tell his secret, then I can tell mine. I bake. What? I love to bake. Strudel, scones, even I've panned out. Oh. Someday I hope to make the perfect creme brulee. Then I'm coming clean. I play the cello. Awesome. What is it? A song? No, dude. It's like a giant violin. Not another word. You have to wear a costume, cut and tie. I 
see a lot of blank looks out there. <laughs> um, you know, that, of course, the idea behind the, the musical, the show, is that uh, people, you know, they're in these little friends groups, and then they have these other interests and passions, but they're not allowed to express those because they'd be different, upset the status quo. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I shared this video with uh, a bunch of first-year students, and they didn't really respond. And I think it was because it was a little, still a little too raw, the pain of high school, you know. So, um, but the idea is, you know, being different is hard. And I don't know if you can remember back to your high school days, um, but high school for me was not a good season of life. And um, I know it's hard to believe when you look at me now, but um, I was not exactly the coolest, most popular kid in high school. I was definitely different. So I was the same height as I am now, about six feet tall, but I weighed less than 155 pounds, and I was this skinny, long-distance and cross-country runner. And so, you know, kind of skinny, scrawny guy. And not only that, I did really well in school, so I was my high school valedictorian, had almost perfect SATs, all that stuff, so I was kind of a nerd as well. But to top it all off, I played the clarinet. And... Um, Music was my thing, and playing the clarinet was my thing. And um, I don't know if you realize this, but when you're a dude in high school, playing the clarinet isn't exactly the coolest thing to do. And so um, by my sophomore year, I had decided I wanted to study music in college. I wanted to make a career out of it. And, and so uh, classmates teased me mercilessly. Um, I was called uh, gay and other names I won't repeat, um, at one point in high school, somebody urinated all over my clothes in my gym locker. Um, and uh, my first, I'll use air quotes, girlfriend in high school was African-American. And so uh, some of the students in my class and older students called me Oreo cookie as a way of expressing their delight and affection. Um, and then uh, during my senior year of, of high school, I was beginning to audition for some of the most prestigious music schools in the country. So I was practicing, practicing, and when you're a musician, you have to be careful about your, your fingers, right? You don't want to break a finger before an audition. That would be bad. And so I walked into gym class one day, and I found out we were going to be playing dodgeball with volleyballs. <laughs> so, and uh, there was actually someone in my school who had gotten, had a finger broken just that week playing dodgeball with volleyball. I can't believe we were doing this. And so I decided I could game the system a bit. And you know how in dodgeball, if you throw the ball and someone catches it, you're out. So you either get out by getting hit or having someone catch your ball. So I figured if I get a ball and just kind of lob it up there, let somebody catch it, then I'm out of the game and I don't have to get hit either. Um, but I wasn't expecting, in the midst of all that, for my gym teacher to be standing on the sidelines and shouting out that I was limp-wristed um, because of my little strategy here. So when I graduated from high school, I was ready to leave and to go because being different was hard. It's just, it's hard. My high school years were temporary, and um, I've managed to escape relatively unscathed. God's done some healing in parts of my life, but it really wasn't all that bad. But sometimes being different has much more serious implications. Um, for example, we live in a country where being different because your skin color is different than the majority 
uh, people group around you, this can affect your ability to buy a house, um, your educational opportunities, your salary, even how often you get pulled over for traffic violations or what happens when you do get pulled over. Um, in this case, being different can cost you financially, socially, legally. Uh, W.E. Du Bois, in his classic work, if you could go to the next slide, uh, The Souls of Black Folk, he gives word to this idea for this experience of African Americans in our country. He said, why did God make me an outcast and stranger in my own house? This sense of being different, of not fitting in, of not really belonging in some way. Being different is hard. Um, I, one of the things I love about Burlington and being in the Burlington area is that it's a refugee relocation city. And so I used to live in the old north end of Burlington, and I had neighbors from Rwanda, Sudan, the Congo, Iraq, Vietnam, Syria. It was incredible. It was really what beautiful diversity. Um, but I can't imagine coming to this country as a refugee, especially if you grew up in a warm weather climate and then you arrive in Burlington, Vermont in the middle of February in a snowstorm. Talk about culture shock, huh? But this idea of having to learn a new language, to adapt to a new culture, to eat new foods, to experience new values, new ways of thinking, uh, especially to have lost everything familiar, to, lost, to have lost your home, your culture, in some cases maybe even your family. I, I know one family from uh, a church in Burlington uh, who are refugees from Sri Lanka, and they fled here. They got asylum here when uh, their sister and her family were assassinated for writing uh, newspaper articles critical of the government. And uh, both the husband and wife were doctors and surgeons at a, a teaching hospital in Colombo. Um, but when they moved here, their licenses didn't transfer. They were going to have to go back to medical school. And so they worked as janitors at the UVM Medical Center just to put food on their table. Imagine um, what it would be like to be uprooted that way, to be in a, a culture, in a nation that's not your own, and to live day in and day out feeling the sense of, I don't quite fit in, that your values, your beliefs, your way of life, your aspirations, your dreams, the hopes you have for you and your family, maybe somehow they just don't quite align with the world you live in. You're not quite home. Being different is hard. And this is just what the Apostle Peter had in mind when he wrote his letter to Christians, 1 Peter, 2,000 years ago. Uh, and here is how it begins. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Peter, as you know, was one of Jesus' most influential followers. Um, but as you also know, he had kind of a checkered track record, inconsistent track record. Um, he was one of Jesus' closest friends, um, he spent some of the most intimate moments with Jesus. He uh, was one of the first to recognize and understand who Jesus really 
was and what his mission was in the world. I mean, he had these mountaintop experiences, literal mountaintop experiences where Jesus was kind of like just glowing. You know, you can imagine what that would be like. But of course, he's also famous for betraying Jesus, for denying that friendship uh, when Jesus was arrested and being tried and crucified. Uh, But despite all that, Peter became one of the leaders of the early church after Jesus' resurrection. Um, And he wrote this letter to Christians who were scattered in what is now modern-day Turkey. And most scholars believe they weren't actual exiles or refugees. They weren't political or national refugees. Instead, Peter calls them exiles because their new Christian faith, their, their experience becoming part of God's family, of becoming Jesus followers, it's, it's resulted in a day-to-day life that's sort of like living in exile. These new Christians had to turn their back on a, on a whole old way of life, on pagan religions, on things like temple prostitution and bestiality and child sacrifice. They just they had to turn away from all these things. They had to embrace the notion that, that people were made in God's image and therefore to, to abuse people, to use them for sexual gratification, to rob them, to slander and lie and cheat people. All these things grieve the heart of God. God's presence in them The fact that the Spirit of God now lived in them, it had changed them. It had made them different. And there are now things about the Roman Empire and its cities and its culture that had become like ill-fitting clothes. You know, when you put clothes in the dryer and they shrink and you go to put them on and you're just... (laughs) Even though they hadn't moved anywhere, even though they still lived in the very same homes and cities and cultures and nations they'd always lived in, something changed. They no longer felt at home. And it's because they now belong to a different kingdom. They are now citizens of God's kingdom. And with it came a whole new set of values and beliefs and dreams and ways of living. They were now subjects to a new king, King Jesus. In fact, Peter writes, if you go to the next slide, that they had been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Now, to us, blood and sacrifice and all this stuff sounds kind of gross. <laughs> I don't want to be sprinkled with any kind of blood. Um, but Peter is re- referencing what happened uh, during the Exodus. When Moses came up the mountain at Sinai came down, and, and God made promises and people made promises, and Moses sprinkled his people with blood of animals to, to signify this new covenant that they were forming. And Peter's saying that, that we don't, aren't sprinkled with the blood of animals anymore. We're sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, that, that he has made this new covenant with us. God's people now are those who call Jesus king or Lord. And so the letter that Peter writes is, is meant to tell them that no matter how hard life gets, no matter how much persecution you face, even when they're going to throw you to the lions or burn you at the stake or, in Peter's case, crucify you upside down, you are to live lives that look like Jesus. They were to be faithful and that God would be with them. He would give them his grace and his peace to be citizens, to be different. Being different can be hard. Okay, so some of you might be thinking, that's nice, 
but what does a 2,000-year-old letter have to do with me? What does this have to do with my life as a, a parent or a grandparent or a teacher or a farmer or engineer or contractor or whatever you are here in Vermont? Well, I think as, as Americans, we face intense pressure to conform to the values of our country, of our state even. And in some cases, that's really good. Now, I'm not a Vermonter. I'm a proud flatlander. Um, I like overpriced coffee shops, and um, I love Church Street. And you know, I just, I'm a proud flatlander. I moved here about 11 years ago. Um, but there are some things I love about Vermont. Um, I love the fact that there is this desire in the state and in our communities to work for justice. That there is a value of, of taking care of the land and the environment. Um, that there's an emphasis on, uh, on getting to know and understanding people who are different from you. There's a value of racial justice and, and socioeconomic equity. There, there are things in this state and this part of the country that I love living here. And I think Jesus would say to us, if as Christians, we can embrace those things, we can, we can appreciate them, we can be thankful for them, and we can even dive right in and show the heart of God to people through those things. But there's also some challenging things about living in this culture. To really follow Jesus in our culture at times means we just have to be different. When we become Jesus' followers, when we're adopted into God's family, when we set about living and loving like Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes into us and, and begins his work of making us new people, we start to discover that the, the world we live in, this, this broken world we live in, this broken culture we live in, it's, it's almost like air that we breathe or like water that fish swim in. We, we're not even aware of it most of the time. It just, it just is. But it shapes us and, and surrounds us and forms us as people. All of a sudden, the culture that we once called home, it just doesn't begin to fit quite right. The way our culture defines the good life, the way our culture defines success, the way our, our culture places value or takes value away from people. How we mark status. All of a sudden, there are things in our culture that will start to feel like we're living in a foreign nation. We begin to sort of feel like we're in exile. Our identity will no longer primarily be American or man or woman or white, black, Latino, middle class, poor, rich, Red Sox fan. Yeah, that will no longer be Red Sox fan. Oh, I'm a Yankees fan. Whatever it will be, our identity now becomes we're children of God. We're his sons and daughters. And the, our true home, the, the culture we truly belong to, becomes his. Our place of belonging is God's family. So we begin to live out according to his values and his dreams and his hopes our heart begins to beat like his. And this is hard. This is hard. Being different is hard. And at times we face scorn. We face 
opposition. We face consequences. We face alienation. We feel like we're being marginalized ourselves. But as hard as being different is, I want to remind us this morning that being different can also be really beautiful. In a culture of greed and materialism, where where what makes a person significant is how much money they have in the bank or having lots of toys or the right clothes, generosity is remarkably beautiful. Living with a freedom from our our stuff, living a life of of sacrificial giving, it's, it's beautiful. It's different but it's beautiful. In a world where um, we feel so connected by social media, and yet so many people feel so isolated and alone, where depression and anxiety control so many of our lives, what's more beautiful than generous hospitality? What's more beautiful than a life and a heart that welcomes and invites others into our lives and into our homes, especially those who are different from us or who feel marginalized and lonely. Now, I'm assuming most of you are on Tinder in this room. <laughs> most of you are looking at me like, yeah, you don't even know what Tinder is, which is a good thing. <laughs> but in my world where I work with students, people literally have apps with pictures where they swipe left or white, right, depending on whether or not they want to hook up with someone. In a world where we swipe left or white, right, (laughs) left or right, based on how you look, or where you can be unfriended on social media for posting the wrong thing politically. What's more beautiful than real, committed friendship. No matter how you look or how popular you are or how many followers you have on Instagram, what's more beautiful than real, genuine friendship? What's more beautiful than people who refuse to treat others as objects to lust after or for their own sexual gratification? What's more beautiful than a, than a people who reject a culture of pornography, who reject a culture that traffics people for sex, who works instead to to freeing those who are enslaved. In a world of contractual relationships and broken promises, what's more beautiful than faithfulness? What's more beautiful than people who keep their word and are committed to one another through the pain of conflict when, when times are good or when relationships are just plain old hard work? What's more beautiful than a friend that says, our friendship is worth fighting for? You are worth fighting for. Being different is hard. Being strange is hard. But it can also be beautiful. The world needs people to be different but in a Jesus beautiful way. 
people who live as exiles in our broken world to demonstrate the heart and the character of God. One author put it this way. If you go to the next quote here. Probably can't see that. I'll read it. He said, Jesus' followers must exhibit this resolute commitment to imagine a shift in power in the world, a shift from greed and self-righteousness to love and justice. The Christian movement must be the living, breathing promise to society that it is possible to live out the values of Christ, that it that is to be a radical, troubling alternative to the power imbalances in the empire. In a world of greed and consumerism, the church ought to be a community of generosity and selflessness. In a host empire that is committed to marginalizing the poor, resisting the place of women, causing suffering to the disenfranchised, the Christian community must be generous to a fault, pursuant of justice, flushed with mercy. I want to invite us over the next few weeks to go on a bit of a journey as we look at 1 Peter. And, and I realize it's a journey that some of you have been on for a long, long time, far longer than me. Uh, it's a journey that for all of us will continue throughout our lives. But it's a journey of discovering more and more about what it means to be different. Not in a weird way, <laughs> but in a good, in a beautiful way, in a way that demonstrates what it means to be part of God's family. I love this letter that Peter wrote. Um, you know, to think about being a man who walked the earth with Jesus for three years. I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought about what it would be like to live and to learn and to do life with the most wise, the smartest the most compassionate, the most just, the most beautiful man who ever walked this earth. What would that have been like? And so the, the journey for us begins with learning to, to fall in love with Jesus again, learning to, to see him with eyes of, of wonder and amazement. And, and for you, that might mean Recommitting to say, you know, I, I'm going to make sure every day I, I spend time with him. Maybe I'm just going to steep myself for a season in, in the Gospels and just try to ask God to, to open my eyes again to just the amazing wonder of this man and his teachings and the way he interacted with people, to fall in love with him all over again. But this journey of, of becoming different isn't something we do alone. It's a, it's a journey that requires a small group of fellow exiles, fellow different people, to live it out. And, and that's part of why we gather on Sundays, right? To encourage one another, to challenge one another, because we can't do it alone. And so maybe this journey of becoming different means gathering with a, a few friends every week and, and praying with one another and challenging one another and, and dreaming together of ways that you can live this out. Maybe um, just as you do with the backpacks and, and the way you bless kids and, and you're different in that way. Being, I mean, just think about it. How many people in our world are intentionally giving backpacks full of food to kids who are hungry? 
That's, that's different. Most people are indifferent. I'm indifferent most of the time to the needs of those around me. But that's, that's one way of, of, just, of beginning to soften our hearts and make ourselves more aware. And then in that generosity, you're being different. So maybe you can continue to dream of, of what does it look like to be different in our community? Maybe by encouraging one another to, to, to find times and space to invite a neighbor over for a meal or invite a coworker out to coffee or, or to start a small group Bible study and invite that curious neighbor down the street to join you. I uh, moved a couple years ago to uh, Colchester, from Burlington to Colchester, and we live in kind of your typical suburban, I'd say suburban, there's not really much urban to be sub of <laughs> suburban kind of housing area in Colchester. And, um, and it, I, it is hard to figure out how do I meet my neighbors? How do I live out a life of being different in front of them? And so actually I have a, a friend, a coworker, he's going to buy a house in the same neighborhood so we can help each other out. And we're just going to learn how to be hospitable and invite people over for meals and have kids over. And, and I'm so excited because he's much better at this than me. <laughs> but I, I, I'm amazed at how hard it is for me to do something so simple as, hey, would you like to come over for dinner sometime? Right? Because nobody does it. It's different. Sometimes we need fellow travelers to come alongside of us, fellow exiles who can encourage us and challenge us to be different. As we go through 1 Peter, we're going to see some of the ways that Peter calls these early churches to be different from the culture around them. And, and I hope that as we do that, you'll begin to see some other ways that as a, as a church and as individuals, we can live that out as well in our own lives. We are going to transition into a time of communion now. And so I'm going to ask um, whoever is helping to serve communion to come up. But one of the things I, I love about communion is uh, how different it was if you put it into its original context. So I don't know if you realize this. You know, we, we come together and, and we have men and women in this room. We have People probably from different socioeconomic backgrounds. We, you know, we, we just, we're from different places. We come together and we, we have a little cracker or a little thimble of juice. And, and it, it means a lot to us in our, our personal spiritual lives. But in the early church, it was a meal. And, and sharing a meal together was a big deal. So, for example, men and women did not eat in the same room. Uh, I actually have a friend who's a missionary in Jordan, and uh, he said the first time he visited Jordan, uh, he sat down on the, uh, on the floor around the table, and the very hospitable people, incredibly hospitable and generous, and, and they kept eating, and people kept bringing out more food, and so they'd been taught, you know, if someone puts food in front of you to be kind, you're supposed to eat it as well. And so he kept eating and eating and eating, and and then they discovered at the end of the meal that the women were all waiting in the other room for what was left over. 
because men and women didn't eat meals together in that kind of way. Well, that was true of the New Testament as well, of the early Greco-Roman world. Men and women were in separate rooms. I mean, they, they didn't work together like we do. They didn't socialize together like we do. It was very divided. The same was true of Jews and Gentiles, of, of slave owners and slaves, of rich and poor. There were all these divisions. And then the early church comes together, and they share a meal together. And so not only were they reenacting and reminding themselves of this covenant with Jesus and this hope of a future wedding feast when the kingdom comes in full, but they were living out, they were, they were demonstrating in a, a sacramental way the fact that the people of God were going to be different. Men, women, Gentile, Jews, slave, free, all equal, sharing in the Lord's Supper. And so as we take communion this morning, I, I just want to remind us of that, that yes, it, it, it's very meaningful for us and our relationship with God. But it was originally a covenant meal, not only with Jesus, but with one another. That we were making a covenant with each other that together we would live this out as one people, as God's family. And that we would be different. We would do life differently. So as we eat and drink, I want to keep that in our mind. And so the words that you're very familiar with, the Apostle Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Out the, the elements. All the creatures. 